actions if your behavior doesn't inspire others to follow your example. You're not a leader. I don't care what your title is. And hardly anybody is, is truly an authentic leader. Let me throw a monkey in the wrench here for you guys to think about. Let's say the model we're living in is incorrect. Let's say the model that we live in, that we grew up in, use power as external as opposed to internal. Doesn't it stand to reason that the people that are successful within that definition of that model are the greatest victims, are the greatest at, are the wolves that are greatest at controlling and manipulating others to steal their power. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Today, our guest is Phil Johnson, and we are here to talk about emotional intelligence, not just how to achieve it, but why it matters and the multiplier effect, the exponential effect you can get in your leadership and your influence when you embrace and grow your emotional intelligence. Phil has been studying emotional intelligence and teaching it for several decades. In fact, he's the founder and CEO of something called the Master of Business Leadership Program that's all about emotional intelligence. And that's the conversation today. We're gonna to talk about how important it is to bring down our walls as leaders through authenticity and vulnerability, not only to connect better and have better uh, relationships and more influence, but also to reduce the amount of energy that we are wasting in holding up those walls. We're gonna talk about something we don't hear a lot about called the drama triangle. And Phil is gonna share with us some of the key obstacles to growing our emotional intelligence and the fact that we have bio biological and sociological resistance to these kinds of growth and change. This is one of the most fascinating leadership conversations we've had in a long time. And this is your opportunity to grow your consciousness, your presence, your emotional intelligence, and your influence. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so excited to be back here today. We're in the new year, January 2022, and Leadership Junkies podcast is back for a leadership conversation. And today we're going to Mississauga, Ontario, which Phil tells us is essentially Toronto. Uh, but Phil Johnson is with us. He's an executive coach, trainer, international speaker, leadership, and emotional intelligence advisor. And you're going to hear a lot about this. He's the creator of the Master of Business Leadership Program and podcast. He's also the founder of Master of Leadership. Uh, and what MBL, Master of Business Leadership, focuses on is emotional intelligence. We do a lot of conversations here on that topic, how important it is to leadership and the impact. Phil's been doing this for at least the last 21 years and across not just the country, but Canada, uh, Europe. Africa, the Middle East, the, the Australia, he's done it around the world. And he has helped executives and organizations grow their leadership and help them generate over one and a half billion dollars in sales revenues. Wow. Uh, today, he inspires leaders through the Master of Business Leadership Program, executive coaching, speaking engagements, his writing. He's written several books, including The Servant Warrior Leader and The New Economic Currency. Phil's passion is developing emotional intelligence, increasing employee engagement, bettering organizational development, and bottom line, helping leaders perform at their best. So welcome, Phil. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, welcome. Thank you, Craig. So Phil, give everybody a little bit more of the Phil Johnson backstory here. <laughs> okay. Uh, very briefly, I've been on this path for 54 years. I just turned 68. I was born with dyslexia, and um, I got on this path a month after my mother died of uh, uh, breast cancer in uh, mm. December of 1967. In January 
1968, I decided to, I wanted to do this work. And I've been on this path ever since. Wow. I took a 20 year uh, kind of sabbatical into the semiconductor industry. And, uh, but for the last 21 years, I've been a, been an executive coach, um, helping organizations and individuals grow their revenue and advancing their careers. Man, that must have been quite a, you, you've probably seen a lot of changes in the landscape over that period of time, because I don't know that many people have been doing the executive coaching that long. Yeah, I am. Um, that, that's a, I would never have gotten into it. I would never have been doing what I was doing, what I'm doing today, if I hadn't had the good fortune of being born with dyslexia. Hmm. Uh, I failed grade, I failed grade three and I failed grade five. And back in those days, there was no such thing as dyslexia or ADD or ADHD. Oh, yeah. I was just labeled a slow learner. Hmm. And I really carried that label around with me for the first 35 years of my life. And it was, it was the death of my mother that really motivated me to um, move out of my comfort zone and do what I refer to as a lot of emotional labor <laughs> that has landed me where I am today. Wow. So Phil, let's let's start here. Um, we often ask folks in this space this question early in the conversation, and you've been, let's face it, several decades in leadership, multiple decades, multiple workforce realities. Give us your take on the state of leadership today. Uh, we're in desperate need for truly authentic, emotionally intelligent leaders more than we have ever been in our history. Uh, we have a tsunami of change coming at us that we are completely, absolutely unprepared for. And if we don't develop our emotional intelligence, I don't want to be dramatic, but I, I, I don't see how we're going to make it out of this century. Hmm. Now, when you, when you talk about that, the emotional intelligence aspect of, of leadership. I mean, let's, let's have you define for us how you see emotional intelligence. Sure. Thanks. Very simply, it's the ability to feel the, the fear and the anxiety that occurs when we take an action that moves us outside of our comfort zone and be able to move through that fear uh, towards the vision of our desired results as opposed to allowing that fear to control us. So we're moving through that fear with our walls down without resistance, judgment, or attachment outcome. All right. Now, that's, that seems like a definition that's more internally focused on you as the leader rather than your mm -hmm. knowledge of how to interact with other people mm -hmm. emotionally. Is that the case with what you teach? Yes, it is. Okay. And there's a... Um, there's an underlying energy physics that I've been proving over the last 21 years uh, to the development of emotional intelligence. Hmm. Uh, when you lower your walls, when you learn to stop giving away your energy by lowering your walls, it inspires others to follow your example. We have these specialized brain cells, brain scientists called mirror neurons, I call them bullshit meters. In other words, you, 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 can't, you can't fake being real. You yeah. can't fake being authentic. Yeah. And so the more you can learn to lower your walls and stop giving in to your fear, your ego-based fear, the more your behavior inspires others to follow your example. Mm. It's called emotional contagion. That's fantastic. I, now, when you talk about getting, basically not giving away your energy, it sounds like when you have those walls up, you're, you're expending a lot of energy then holding those in place. Walls are not a good thing. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and um, it, 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 in very briefly, if you don't mind, I'll take two minutes and explain yeah. the root cause of all drama, chaos, and conflict <laughs> and the root cause solution. Okay. That sound worthwhile? Yes. <laughs> We're only conscious about three to 5% of the time. Uh, the rest of the time, we're relying on our unconscious habits to mm. create our behaviors and our results. When we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. Uh, we have our unconscious mind, but our conscious mind doesn't kick in until we're about a year or so old. But we immediately start wiring up our brain, 
creating the neural network pathways that become our habits in order to survive, fit in, get food, that kind of stuff. And a lot of those habits are what I refer to as victim habits that cause us to give away our energy. And we do it in a myriad of ways, how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, et cetera. So when we're giving away our energy over here, it creates an energy deficit in us equals MC squared. Energy can't be created or destroyed. It just changes form. So when we're giving away our energy over here, we have to, at the same time, be trying to replace that energy by simultaneously trying to steal the energy of other people over here. Oh, okay. And that dynamic is going on inside of everybody, everywhere, hmm. unconsciously, all the time. So what I do in the MBL program is I show people how they're giving away their energy, and I give them better habits and practice to stop doing that. And that's how they develop their emotional intelligence, become more inspirational leaders, and raise their level of consciousness. Well, you, you, there's so much in those two minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, so, Jeff, there's 54 years in those two minutes. <laughs> well, so let me, let's pull some of those threads. So one sure. thing I wanted to touch on, you talked about fear quite a bit. And the phrase I heard in there was move, lower walls and move through fear, yep. which I take it is this is not about pretending to be fearless or ignoring fear or anything like that. So talk about that difference of uh, ignoring fear versus moving through fear fear is not the enemy fear is not the bad thing we can't get away from it we're both biologically and sociologically inclined to be afraid of what might try to eat us we're more afraid of what might try to eat us than what might try to help us so really we need to develop the emotional intelligence to deal with that fear to recognize it, to acknowledge it, and move out of our comfort zone through it towards our objective, what we're trying to achieve. And that, that's what I refer to as emotional labor. And that emotional labor is what develops our emotional intelligence. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the things I've said for a few years is if someone says to me that they're fearless, and there are people still saying it. Sure. I, I got trust issues. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's kind of like they, saying I know all my blind spots. They're unconsciously incompetent. They don't know <laughs> okay, what they don't know. Right, right. So I'm, I'm curious, um, a lot of the words you said made me start thinking about something known as the drama triangle. Are you familiar with it? And is that involved in your work at all? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, Drama, chaos, and conflict, and basically the toxicity of environments is the breeding ground for victim behavior. The, the urgent and important that the drama, chaos, and conflict creates is the, it makes it easier for victims to steal the energy of other, of other people. Hmm. So the more the less emotionally intelligent someone is, the less emotionally intelligent an organization is, the more drama, chaos, and conflict you will find. Mm. Okay, so are you talking about the people being emotionally intelligent about their own, uh, the way that they're operating versus yes. understanding how it's, okay. Yes, uh, by becoming, great question. By becoming more emotionally intelligent as an individual, you automatically become more conscious of not only what's going on inside of you, but what's going on inside of everybody else. Okay. As a matter of fact, as you raise your level of consciousness, you're actually, you actually you know more about what's going on inside of other people than they do because <laughs> their, walls, their walls blind them to reality. Good point. Yeah. And so when you're looking at that, let's, let's take an organization. Let's say we have several different types of people. You have some who are emotionally intelligent, some who are not. And the, those who are not, you're saying that they're the ones that create the drama, the chaos. Is that yep. correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And Very so sexual. from that standpoint, if we can train each person in an organization to have more emotional intelligence, yep. that reduces the amount of drama, chaos. Okay. It actually... Great comment, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, by training 
what I refer to as sheepdogs. I say you know, an organization I call some people sheepdogs, some people sheep, and some people wolves. The wolves feed off the sheep. So by training people that become sheepdogs, you're actually draining the negativity, the toxicity out of the organization, the drama, chaos, and conflict out of the organization that the wolves need to be wolves. Fantastic. What you actually do, the organization can self-correct. And that's what, uh, that's what the MBL program does. The MBL program develops sheepdogs. So, so Phil, you said in, uh, when you were sharing about emotional intelligence, you talked about we're conscious, we're only conscious three to 5% of the time. Yep. And, and Craig's question was some sort of, long, sort of binary of people are either emotionally intelligent or not. And I take it there's a spectrum. Oh, absolutely. Right? It, so yeah. where, what is progress? You know, if we're, you're saying <laughs> typically we're at three to 5%, yep. I guess the numbers don't matter, but I think sometimes people think in this terms of I'm either this or that. Yeah, it's not black or white. But let me, great question. Let me give you an analogy. An analogy I often use is the penny doubling. If you take a penny, you double it every day for 31 days. Day one, you've got a penny. Day two, you've got two pennies. Day three, you've got four pennies. Day 31, you've got $10.7 million. The point is, it's not about money. It's about the journey. It doesn't take any more effort to go from day 30 to day 31 than it did to go from day one to day two. But it's a progression. So in the beginning, at the beginning of this journey, it looks like you're doing a lot of work for a little, and you are because you don't know what you don't know. Later on, it looks like you're doing a little work for a lot, and you are, but it's because of the progression. By the way, day 40 is over 5 billion, day 50 is over 5 trillion. There are executives that I've been working with for over 12 years because the ROI keeps getting greater and greater and greater as you develop your emotional intelligence, as you do the emotional labor of developing your emotional intelligence. So it sounds like it's a multiplier and maybe even a, um, an exponential. It's an uh, expo. It's an exponential multiplier. It's an exponential results multiplier. Boy, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up, Phil, because that is something I think so many organizations miss when they think about leadership development in that, you know, unfortunately leadership typically falls under the category of soft skills. But when you think about ROI, too many organizations say, let's do hard skills because the return is often quicker. It's often more visible, but it's, it's incremental. The real, the exponential opportunity is through leadership and developing things like emotional intelligence. I think, that fundamental mind shift would help a lot to get organizations to really embrace and invest in their people in this way. Jeff, uh, you're absolutely correct. Um, the emotional intelligence is going to become a multi-trillion dollar industry. Mark that down and, and watch as the rate of change continues to accelerate. Some scientists estimate that in this century, we're going to experience the equivalent of roughly 20,000 years worth of change, 200 centuries worth of change. Wow. And we've got, and we've got a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. So the development of our emotional, and I, I can explain that uh, more if you'd like, um, but the development of our emotional intelligence isn't a solution to the challenges we face. It is the only solution to the challenges we face. Wow. I feel like, uh, wow. I feel like a mirror now. Uh, I don't feel so crazy and saying things like that. That's right. So let's talk about a word you've used many times. Let's talk about victimhood because Mm -hmm. I think my experience of myself and observing others is that we are often in victimhood, but don't know it because I think our definition, our conscious definition of victimhood is sort of that whiny type (laughs) language. But, you know, I think, and you talked about taking responsibility and I guess I'll throw this question in this way. I just did a video this morning about, it wasn't about victimhood, but it was, it was about what real responsibility looks like. And I gave an example of a CEO in the last year who, really screwed up, lost her position. And her statement when this happened was basically, I'm sorry 
for these inappropriate things I said in these emails. Mm-hmm. And, but this is the line that's often in there said those, what I did and what I said are not reflections, not accurate reflections of who I am. <laughs> And I, I hear that so often, I think, well, who was it then? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and to me, that is a blatant example of victimhood, yet someone thinks they're taking responsibility, but they're not really. You make a great point. See, whatever our view of reality is, whatever story, whatever rational lies we're telling ourselves, we believe them. So if somebody a person's level of consciousness will determine their results. It will determine their behavior and the results. The only way to change the behavior and change results is to raise the person's level of consciousness. They don't know what they don't know. They, but they believe, we all believe 100% whatever story we're telling ourselves <laughs> that's justifying our behavior and our results. And so what I, t- what I say to people that I work with, when I, when I start working with them, I say, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I only care what you do, because what you do will change what you think. What you do will change the story you're telling yourself. So my focus is always on actions and results. Gotcha. Well, you almost verbatim restated the video I did this morning, <laughs> talking about that nope other people don't care what i think they certainly don't care what i say they care about what i how i act and how i and what i do so and you know i'm going through some things right now where i'm very clear on what my thinking and belief is but my actions didn't align with that and it's it's a hard thing to face yeah because there's that inner turmoil that i want to say what this is what i really feel except my choices didn't show that. What you're describing, Jeff, is the scope of the problem. Uh, There's significant both biological and sociological resistance to change. And I can go into that in more detail if you want. But the bottom line is that without a, frankly, without a coach, um, the likelihood that you will be willing to do the emotional labor that change and innovation requires is pretty close to zero. Um, and there's only two sources of motivation that will cause people to be willing to do that work, to be willing to do that emotional labor. One is pain. The other one is passion and hardly anybody's connected with their passion. So those individuals that I work with initially tend to be in a lot of pain. They have an urgent desire for better results than they're currently getting. And that's the, that's the jump off point. Now, you, do you typically see that a, a manager of a person is coming to you and saying, hey, this, this manager, this person needs the help versus, hey, Phil, I need the help? Both. Both. Okay. I, I've, I've, I've seen both. And I guess when somebody is coming to you and saying, I need help, that's where you probably have the most success, I would imagine, rather than, you know, hey, you know, Jeff you need to go talk to Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I always start out with this question, what do you want? Because um, when somebody tells you what they want, they're also telling you what they don't have. And the bigger the gap between where they are versus where they want, want to be, the more motivated they are to do the emotional labor that's required. So if you don't have an urgent desire for better results than you're currently getting, you will not have the motivation to do the work that's required. And most people actually, quite frankly, don't have that motivation. And so what they do instead is instead of trying to change themselves, they try and change everybody else. They try and use some type of position-based power to control and manipulate others. And that's been going on for an awfully long time. And so Gallup says, you know, current level of employee engagement is around 13% globally. So what that means is that people are in toxic work environments, uh, which they're scared to death. They're doing the minimum. The level of engagement is low. And it's costing costing the U.S. economy alone over a trillion dollars a year. Um, No surprise. And... uh, 
there's almost a one-to-one -one correlation between the level of employee engagement and the level of customer engagement. So if your employees aren't engaged, guess totally what? Agree. Neither yeah. are your customers. Yeah, the way we put it is if you take care of your people, they'll take care of your customers. Yep. And so when you're looking at that, the, the number of people that are scared, they, they don't feel like they're supported in their organization. Yep. Does that come back to the walls that we have to yep. the, yep. okay, explain that, please. <clears throat> they're scared because they're, they're giving away their energy and they feel like somebody else is in control of them. They feel like somebody else, something else is in control of their actions and results. And the reality is that's not true. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. Between whatever happens and how we choose to respond to whatever happens, there's a space where we get to choose our response. And that space is our greatest gift and power. That's where our agency lies. That's where our leadership lies. That's where our emotional intelligence lies. And if we're unconsciously giving away that power to others, that's what creates the drama, chaos, and conflict. So real emotional intelligence, real leadership is about not giving away your power, not giving away your energy, being responsible for you. For every, every choice you make is a choice you made. If you choose to give away your energy to somebody else, that's a choice you made. And you can change that choice in a heartbeat. So Phil, that space, let's talk about that space for a minute. Um, <laughs> I love that. The way I've defined that space is the leadership pause. Because the space is always there, mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. And I think for me, the more conscious I can become, yep. that's what allows me to slow that down so I can have the pause and make the choice, or make a conscious choice in the space. I'm still yep. making a choice in the space. But typically, I'm making an unconscious choice Correct. when I'm reacting, coming from a place of fear, and I'm not conscious that it's happening. Correct. So talk a little bit more about that space and how we can find the more conscious choice in it, because we're always making a choice. Our whole existence is centered around one activity, and that activity is to become more conscious. Um, to use the challenges we face <clears throat> as opportunities to move through the anxiety and become more conscious. Now, is that what you're teaching the, the people that you're coaching? It's a result of what I'm teaching. Okay. It's a, it's a consequence. I'm teaching people how to stop giving away their energy and all of emotional intelligence, higher consciousness, inspirational leadership, those are results of simply refusing to give away your energy. Okay, can you give an example of how somebody's giving away their energy? Sure. Um, let's take listening. How somebody feels about you, whether they like you or whether they don't, has nothing to do with you. <laughs> It has to do with what's going on inside of them. But if how somebody feels about you determines how you feel about you, <laughs> who's, who's running your life? You or them. Right. Great point. <clears throat> so <clears throat> by learning that how, whether somebody likes me or whether they hate me doesn't affect how I feel about me. It's your choice how you feel. If I'm giving a talk to a thousand people, I've got a thousand reputations in that audience and I'm not responsible for any of them. I'm responsible for what I do. I'm responsible for my actions. I'm not responsible for what you think about what I do. That's up to you. Yeah. That sounds like a little bit of uh, Don Miguel Ruiz and the four. Agreements. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Don't take it personally. Yeah. Cause that's there, a choice. Yeah. And then, um, it, so, so when you don't take it personally, what, what actually happens is when you don't take it personally, when you don't give in to your, and I want to get back to your, your question. Uh, when you don't take it personally, 
it allows you to lower your walls and be more present. So you're better able to serve the other person. You're better able to understand the other person. If, okay. you're, if your walls are up, <clears throat> you're either trying to kill the other person or get away from the other person. You're in, you're in fight, flight, or freeze mode. But the last thing you want to do is help that other person. So by learning to lower your walls and be more present in the moment, yeah. you change from trying to destroy the other person or get away from the other person to try and understand the other person and serve them. Well, I definitely want to talk more about, about presence. Um, I yeah. want to make sure we don't get too far away from something you said a few moments ago. You said something about 200, 200 200 exactly. centuries. 200, 200 centuries of change. Yep. And the next in this century. In this century. And you've talked about this how critical it is to develop emotional intelligence. And you opened up by saying, we've got a real crisis. So me, my question me. is that change that you're talking about, does that happen if we make these emotion shifts to emotional intelligence? Yes. Or do we lose that opportunity if we don't make the shift? What I'm about to say, <clears throat> I think we're at a tipping point as a species on the planet. I think we're going, we're dealing, we're going to be dealing with things that we're completely unprepared to deal with. CRISPR-Cas9 genetic technology, climate change, global. Um, but AI, other pandemics, and we really suck at change. <laughs> um, huge. And if we don't develop the emotional intelligence to learn to embrace change and move through the anxiety that change creates, we will not survive this century. We are the virus on this planet that's killing the planet. Yeah. There isn't a single species on the planet that wouldn't be better off if we didn't exist. <laughs> if we don't develop our emotional intelligence, we will not survive this century. We, there will be so much drama, chaos, and conflict that gets created by our fear that we'll destroy ourselves. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Welcome back. So what do you think? Let's, let's go to one of my favorite topics, which is obstacles. Mm -hmm. You may have already said it, but what would you say are the critical obstacles to growing our emotional intelligence? One thing. Ego-based fear. Mm. Ego-based fear. So let me, let me um, if you don't mind, I'm going to take maybe three minutes and explain the major obstacles. There's two major biological obstacles to change and one sociological obstacle. Let me explain. Whenever we take an action that causes us to move outside of our comfort zone, there's a part of our old lizard brain called the amygdala that doesn't want us to do that. And it's been trying to keep us safe and alive for the last 500 million years by making sure we never leave the safety of our cave. And if we do, it secretes a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol causes the executive center of our brain prefrontal cortex to shut off. And we typically go into some type of amygdala hijack, fight, flight, or freeze mode. And when that happens in conflict situations, people die. And when it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die, we burn trust. So the development of our emotion, if you think of your amygdala as a, as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to better enable us to feel that anxiety and move through it towards our desired results as opposed to allowing that anxiety to keep us imprisoned in our comfort zone. 
So that's one of the internal biological resistances we have to change. The other one is our existing habits. Once we create a habit, it's there forever. But we can create new habits at any age. It's called brain plasticity or neurogenesis. Um, by changing our actions, it creates new neural network pathways in our brain. But the old habits will always be stronger than the new habits, even though the new habits can work better than the old habits. So there's going to be an internal battle within us between our old habits and the new habits. So that's on the biological side. On the sociological side, the people around us don't want us to change. We've trained them, to, we've shown them how they can steal our energy. And by the way, they've shown us how we can steal their energy. They don't want us to leave our cave. They don't want us to leave the comfort zone. If we leave and start to get better results, maybe they're gonna have to change. That scares the hell out of them. So the best way to ensure they don't have to change is to make sure you fail. So they can say, look, I told you so, shut up, keep your head down, come back into the herd. And so there's that social, and that unconscious sociological resistance to change and that unconscious biological resistance we have to change. And those are the three major barriers we have to change. And we have to overcome them to survive. And the only way we can do that is to learn how to lower our walls by raising our, by developing our emotional intelligence. So a lot of people that I see now are using drugs or other types of things to reduce anxiety. How does that impact the emotional intelligence? That actually, that great question, Craig. Thanks for asking it. <clears throat> we have, we have all mammals on the planet have a primal urge to be in the moment, to be more present. Uh, it's actually it's called being in the flow mm -hmm. with the present moment. It's actually a $25 trillion a year industry. And we do that. Drugs is one way, uh, an unhealthy way. Alcohol, uh, some healthy ways are meditation, um, developing our emotional intelligence, video games, uh, football players banging their helmets on each other's heads to try and be unconscious. <clears throat> wow. The only time that really exists, the only time that's real, the only time we can take an action, we can generate a result is the present moment. The future will never exist. Right. The past will never exist. But our egos cause us to, they, it tries to take us out of the present moment into some mystical future moment or some past moment that doesn't exist. That's what Jeff so, calls time traveling. <laughs> sure. But the only, we share this moment with everybody on the planet. And this moment is the only time that's real. So by learning to lower our walls, by becoming more emotionally intelligent, we become more conscious. We become more present in this moment. Right. And the person most present is most influential. Hmm. See, if we're not present, we're really in fear. We're really, if, we're, if, our, if our ego is have us focused on future or past, that's where the fear gets generated. We're not looking at the reality of the present moment. We're trying to get to some mystical future, better moment to come. And there is not. <clears throat> Any future moment will only become the present moment. And it's how we behave. It's our level of presence in this moment that determines <clears throat> our leadership, our emotional intelligence, our consciousness, our results, our behaviors. All that exists for all of us is just this moment. And hardly any of us are actually living, are actually conscious in this moment. So let me so ask some questions about, go yeah, ahead. I was gonna say, when we're not conscious in this moment, that opens up the that opens up the door to fear, ego-based fear, drama, chaos, and conflict that we see everywhere in the world. So the solution 
is to become more consciously present in each moment. Well, I'm certainly a believer of that. Um, yeah. Have written a lot about that that exact point that presence is the answer. Conscious and present is the answer. And so let, let me dig a little deeper on these obstacles because sometimes I think that, or I believe that what trips us up is not being aware of those obstacles or pretending they don't exist. Yep. And so you talked about ego-based fear and you talked about <clears throat> the biologicals and the socials. Let me give you a couple examples and see how they fit with your premise. In an effort to simplify this, if I look at leaders and say, what's keeping them from going in this direction? I usually see one of two things. One is they already think they're there. I, I am emotionally intelligent. I'm there. Maybe my people need something else. That's one. Or I, and I don't think they say this, but they've never seen it modeled. Hmm. Yep. So they yep. don't believe it's true because they've almost no, virtually no one has seen that model. Yep. Small percentage. Yep. So it's totally frightening. So yep. I'm going to lead differently than everyone else. Yep. So talk about those two dynamics and how they fit in your sharing about the obstacles. You're absolutely correct. Um, they don't know what they don't know and, and they haven't seen it. If you, if your actions don't inspire followers, you're not a leader. If your actions, if your behavior doesn't inspire others to follow your example, you're not a leader. I don't care what your title is. <laughs> um, and hardly anybody is, is truly an authentic leader. Um, in a lot, let me. Let me throw a monkey in the wrench here for you guys to think about. Let's say the model we're living in is incorrect. Let's say the model that we live in, that we grew up in, use power as external as opposed to internal. Doesn't it stand to reason that the people that are successful within that definition of that model are the greatest victims, are the greatest at, are the wolves that are greatest at controlling and manipulating others to steal their power. Hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's the environment. That's just that's logical. The, I mean, look around. I look around at the results we've been generating. We killed more people in the 20th century than all of recorded human history. And we're not doing very good this century. If you just look around at our results, You've got to be crazy to think that whatever, whatever we're doing isn't working. Whatever it is, call it whatever it is, whatever we're doing isn't working. And we need to make a dramatic change for us to survive. It seems like it requires people to put their, let me rephrase this. If we're talking about things like political, views, right? Very diametrically opposed people. People are really becoming so polarized on those types yep. of things. And they're yep. not willing to say, you know what, somebody from a different viewpoint, <clears throat> I'm okay with having a relationship with them. Instead, they're saying, no, I, I only have this view and I don't want to have any, any conflict. I don't want anybody to challenge that. And so that leads to me in, in a way to this conflict you know, we're, we're constantly creating this. I know that many families and people within organizations have just been destroyed by that. Yep. So if we can then get present and understand that, maybe, maybe explain to us how we can get past some of that polarization. It's very simple. Low, stop giving away our energy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Craig, it's very simple to explain as I've explained it and very hard to do. Okay. The the challenge isn't in the the challenge isn't in the intellectual understanding yeah. of what's needed. The challenge is in the emotional labor of doing it. 
Yeah. It's not an intellectual challenge. It's not an understanding challenge. It's an implementation challenge. That's why I say to people, I don't care what you think. I only care what you do. Because thinking won't change mm-hmm. our situation. We have to we have to act our way out of thinking dif- we have to act our way into thinking differently. Okay. So you said something really interesting, Phil. I don't know if I've heard it said this way before. You were talking about when, if we're in fight, flight, or freeze in nature, in those sorts of circumstances, the outcome is death. Someone dies, I die. Yeah, it's either death or uh, we destroy the relationship. Well, but that's what I wanted to point out. That's what that was the differentiation you made. You said in the business world, yeah, in a leadership world, yeah, if I'm in that mode, then I, relationships die and trust dies. Yep. And I want you to talk a little bit more about that because so often trust is this fractured foundation in organizations and teams, yep. and they don't know where it came from. Well, a lot of times it came from just what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Our biology, and then I want to go back to uh, conflict, and I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about this trust first. Um, We tend to, because of our biology, we tend to burn trust five to seven times faster than we can earn trust. Mm. We're, We're more concerned about what might be trying to eat us than what might be trying to help us. So we're our antenna is focusing on threats, okay? So if our walls are up just 15% of the time, if you do the math in this example, we're actually burning trust in the relationships we're trying to develop. So with, with that, are we, if we also take this into the perspective of we have a short-term game. We have the the infinite game or the long-term game. Relationships to me are that long-term game. We we if we look at it that way, then we're more willing to not react and and not cause the problems. Then I have to win in this moment. Yep. Do you or, see that? Uh, is that sure. accurate or inaccurate? Oh, absolutely. We're a, you, you've heard the old Stanford study about one marshmallow now, two marshmallows oh, yeah. in 30 minutes. Right. We're a, we're a one marshmallow world. Yeah. So that's, that's the answer to your question. We're not willing to do the strategic work that true change and innovation requires. We're looking for that short, we're always look, we're like drug addicts. We're always <laughs> looking for that short-term dopamine hit in our yeah. brain from click, ticking something off our to-do list. I think I'd be licking the marshmallow. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the kind of fundamental, you know, the, the challenges we face, things like climate change, things like gene editing technology, these are strategic challenges yeah. that are facing us. There's no short-term victory here. There's no, there's no quick fix. We have, to, we have to be willing to invest in the strategic effort required to create our success. But that also means we have to delay that dopamine hit in our brains. So it seems like Elon Musk may be one of the people that looks at it that way. Yep. Yep. Okay. I agree. I think he's, uh, he's doing what he can to change our trajectory. Yeah. And we need, we need more sheepdogs like that. <laughs> uh, Bill, I'd like to talk a little bit more about fear in, in this sense. In my coaching work, one thing that I work with clients on a lot is really understanding what exactly they're afraid of. Because not only, the reason I found it helpful is that understanding exactly what they're afraid of helps them to understand themselves better, to be more conscious about it, 
because I just had a call with a client yesterday and we were exploring three different possible fears. And I, I shared all three. I said, I'm picking up on these possible fears. They said, oh, this is the big one. And if they were to address fear generally, they'd probably miss the mark because the drivers of the other two were different than this one. Mm. So how often is that a part of helping people understand or navigate fear, move through fear, as you said, yeah. by understanding what exactly they are afraid of? I'm, I have those kind of conversations as well, but they're kind of side conversations. I'm less interested in what's causing the fear as opposed to taking action that moves you through it. I mean, there can be a gazillion of things that triggers a person's walls to go up, that triggers their fear. Um, I'm less interested in what those triggers are as opposed to how they're going to respond to those triggers. What are you going to do about it? It's nice to know what caused it, but you're scared. Your walls are up. You're becoming resistive, judgmental, and attached outcome. What are you going to do? What are you going to change? What are you going to do? Knowing doesn't change behavior. It's only behavior that changes behavior. <laughs> but what I wonder about that, Phil, is an interesting conversation is if I do something to alleviate it, but my doing is lined up with the wrong fear, then the old fear, the other fear will still be there because my action will address one fear, but not oh, the yeah. other one. Yeah. What yeah, agreed. And that's the journey. That's the journey. You got it. You got to knock off those things along the way. Yeah. It's, there's, there's no, there's no silver bullet here. There's no quick fix. It's a, it's a, it's a journey towards mastery. So, Phil, the thing that's coming up to me through all of this, I want to come back to presence for a minute. You talked about flow, the present moment, and I loved how you said it. That's all we have. People want to, I mean, that's the interesting argument. When people want to say there's more, I go, well, show me how. How is there something other than this moment? Nope. This moment is where I make all my choices. Yep. This is, moment is where I take action. Yep. This moment, this is where it all happens. Um, this moment is when I'm alive, when we're yeah. alive. Yeah. And it How seems to you... create a lot more peace as well. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. The more present we can become, the more peaceful we become. So one thing I want to ask about that is often in um, my work, the problem I find is when people are, they sort of get the idea of presence. But what they think it is, is just being less distracted. <laughs> so they focus on behaviors to say, oh, I'll be more present. I'm going to turn my, put my phone away. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that, I don't what, know if that makes you more present. It makes you <laughs> less distracted. What you're describing, Jeff, is the difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing something emotionally. They can think they understand the concept of present intellectually, but they don't yet understand it emotionally, experientially. So a couple other questions as we get here to time, Bill, I, man, I love this conversation. Absolutely. Um, we, we kind of gone back and forth on our conversation. I love what you said. Um, you said, I think you said, if a leader doesn't inspire uh, and influence people, they're not a leader. So I would say the counter to that is if someone inspires and influences people they're a leader where they have a position or not right so how talk about this idea of leadership throughout versus just positional leadership leadership isn't a position it's not a title it's a choice and we all need to choose to be leaders whether we're folding boxes in the warehouse or performing brain surgery or whatever the hell it is we're doing we have to show up as the leader we can be. Absolutely. So it's not a, it's not a title. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. You said something earlier that I want to touch on. You said our singular goal, or at least that's how I heard it, mm -hmm. our singular objective mm -hmm. 
is to needs to be to become more conscious. And I've heard you talk about it's not about thinking, it's about doing. Is there a doing element to becoming more conscious? Or is the doing flow from the consciousness? No, there's a doing, the doing, the experiential, the doing element of developing the habits that cause us to stop giving away our energy so that we lower our walls creates higher consciousness. That makes sense. What are some of those? Yeah, what are some of those? Well, one of them is what I mentioned earlier about authentic listening. Don't take things personally. There's authentic communications. There's being responsible to versus for others. There's how we make decisions. There's there's a myriad of habits we can develop to lower our walls and be more present in each moment. That's what the MBL program is all about. Mm-hmm. So this has been just a tremendous conversation. And I think you, I agree with you, Phil, it is such a vital conversation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, There's so, and and as you said, there's so much change we're in the midst of now and it's coming. And I think it's a huge opportunity and it's a huge risk for both, for anyone that's in any role. And, And I say this, not in positions of leadership, but I believe like you do, everybody has an opportunity to create change as a leader, wherever they're at. And they've, in order to do that, they have to lower their walls. They have to be willing to take the risk to lead. I mean, because leadership's a risk. I have to say, leadership's a risk. If it was, if it wasn't a risk, everybody would do it. But here's, can I just jump in here, Jeff, just a bit? The bigger risk is not the bigger risk is not being a leader. The safest thing to do is develop our leadership. The riskiest thing to do is not. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't understand, you know, they, they see modeled something different than that. So what we're, do, what we're doing here in this discussion and all of this is we're trying to ring a bell. Mm-hmm. We're trying to outline the challenge we face, the central challenge we face, and the solution to the challenges we face. That's step number one. The real work, the hard work, is the implementation of the process required to change our trajectory. And we've shown little or no willingness as a species to do the emotional labor Mm. that we have to do in order to make it out of this century. So what is it? I'm really curious as to the hiring process that you talk about where they're looking at emotional intelligence. How do they assess that? for somebody that they haven't met before? Uh, they ask questions. They, uh, that's a great question. By the way, um, the short answer is the more emotionally intelligent you are, the easier it is to see it in other people. <laughs> Good point, yeah. Okay, so, but the, but the longer question is, uh, and they ask people how they, how, they, how they face embarrassment, how they face anxiety, um, who's responsible for your results. Um, what can you teach us? Um, so th- they're looking for agency. Yeah. How have you, how have, what emotional labor have you done in your life that's made you into the person you are today? Mm. So there, so there's a, there's a, and I actually often go in and talk to people at Apple in the stores about their interview process to see um, how much they were able to recognize what was actually going on. And it's very clear that Apple is more interested in, 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 in attracting more emotionally intelligent individuals to kind of strip mining the workforce to look for these folks. Um, but they'll, that's their primary objective. They, they, they'll teach you about their products. They'll teach you about their services. But the, but the real resource they're looking for is emotional intelligence. Can't One last question to teach to you that. that. I'm sorry. Is yeah. is it because of the current CEO versus Steve Jobs that that has shifted, or has it always been the case? Boy, you know, I don't know. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know. But the I, I see the results. I don't know the decision process, but I, when I walk into an Apple store, when you walk into oh, an sure. Apple store, you see the you see the result. 
it's interesting. I've never thought about it from the standpoint of emotional intelligence, but now that you say that, it's like, oh yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, it's such a great conversation, Phil. And as you said, uh, it's a, it's a ring of the bell. Mm. Uh, who will hear the bell and who will answer the call is the question. Yeah. A call to leadership. That's how we'll wrap up a call to leadership. So Phil, we always want our guests to have an opportunity to highlight or promote something uh, going on in their world. What is that for you? I'm always looking to have conversations like this with anybody that wants better results than they're currently getting. Mm. Um, so I, um, I would love to have these kind of conversations all day long. Mm -hmm. So anybody that, anybody that would like to uh, talk with me, meet on Zoom or Skype, um, I would be more than happy to. And my calendar is on my LinkedIn profile. So that answered the next question. Is that the best way for people to connect with you through LinkedIn? Yes. All right. Great. And we always wrap up with a couple of questions. And Phil, my first question for you is, what's that? You've shared so much wisdom, but what's that wisdom bomb you want to leave folks with? The development of our emotional intelligence is the solution to everything. <laughs> uh, literally. Uh, it fixes everything, both in our careers and our personal life. Mm, health, wealth, and relationships. Yeah, I can yep. see that impacting yep. all of those. Yep. Love that. So, Phil, the other question I'm going to ask is we haven't talked a lot about these in the conversation. What's, what's that one book you'd recommend to folks to explore mm -hmm. this topic in more depth? Bear with me. <laughs> uh, let me preface this by saying there is no book that can develop emotional intelligence. There's no conversation like this one or any other that will develop emotional intelligence. There's no webinar you can attend that will develop emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is an experiential process, not an intellectual process. Having said that, the person that I most admire is Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah. And his book, A New Earth. Uh, yeah. um, you can see I've, uh, I have myriad of, <laughs> I've read it many, many times. But see, this, this is simply words. This book, a book does not reflect the actions that he talks about in, the, in, this, in this book. The words are correct. The words are inspirational, um, and I, I love the work he's doing um, in helping to raise consciousness. By the way, his whole focus is on raising consciousness. Mm, right. um, but th this is a great book. I would, I would read it every day for the rest of my life. Um, but again, the real work is in applying, is in the experiential, is in changing our actions to lower our walls and be willing to move through our fears as opposed to allowing our fear to control us. Is there an action guide that goes along with New Earth? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Sounds like something for you to create. <laughs> it's called the MBL program. Oh, there you go. Okay. I, I, go. Actually, that, Craig, that's great. The MBL program develops what he talks about in this book. Okay. Well, thank you, Phil. Thanks for being here and all your wisdom, but most important, thanks for the work that you're doing to yes. grow emotional intelligence and grow leaders. Guys, I love the work you're doing and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. And um, uh, we need, we need more of this. We need more people like you um, to be ringing the bell and helping to change our trajectory and uh we have no time to lose enjoyed the conversation if you enjoyed this episode please go to your favorite podcasting app rate us give us some comments share some love it helps us to get our message out to more people thank you so much
If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.